from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. I'm Beth Oppenheim and today I'm with the CER's director, Charles Grant, to discuss what's been a busy week for Brexit and also to look further ahead. Hi, Charles. Hi, Beth. So we're recording this on Monday, the 21st of October. We had a somewhat unexpected breakthrough last week where after frantic negotiations, Boris Johnson managed to reach what looks like a new deal with the EU, which perhaps most importantly got rid of the backstop, the Irish backstop. Now, Boris Johnson tried to hold a meaningful vote over the weekend, what everyone was getting very excited about, Super Saturday. But instead, this was derailed with an amendment and Boris Johnson was then forced to request an extension, which would delay Brexit until January the 31st of next year, 2020. The world watched a somewhat absurd situation unroll as uh, Boris Johnson submitted an unsigned request for extension, accompanied by his own letter arguing against it. So in brief, Charles, by the time this goes into listeners' ears, there will have been some events in Parliament. What do you think is going to happen next in Parliament? Well, I think on Saturday, Super Saturday, Boris Johnson lost a battle, but he's on course to win the war, the war being to take Britain out of the EU. It looks highly likely that he now has a small majority in Parliament of less than 10, but enough to win either a meaningful vote or a vote on the second reading with the Withdrawal Act bill, which will essentially signal that Britain is going to leave the EU. And then the argument becomes not whether we leave or not, but what kind of Brexit we aim for in the future. There's one small hope for Remainers, those who wish to remain, which is amending the Withdrawal Act bill to say it has to be put to a people's vote or a second referendum. But at the moment, it looks unlikely there are enough votes in Parliament to achieve that. So I think the real arguments will probably be over the nature of the Brexit that we go for rather than whether Brexit happens or not. And there's also a possibility that Labour's going to try and add an amendment in order to get the UK to remain in the customs union. How likely do you think that might be to pass? I think there's a fairly good chance that Parliament will vote to say that the future relationship should be based on a customs union because most people in the Labour Party want that even those Labour MPs who will vote for Brexit to happen. They want a softer Brexit, and the customs union means a softer Brexit that means less delays at border for manufactured goods, good for manufacturing industries, which Labour is close to. Also, some of the Conservative MPs who will support Brexit per se will still will still like to see Britain in a customs union, Amber, Amber Rudd, for example. So I think the government does face the possibility of defeat on the customs union, If it is defeated on this issue, then it might actually be so annoyed that it might say, well, we'll just put to one side the withdrawal of that bill and go straight for a general election. And Boris would seek a mandate for the harder Brexit that he wants built around a Canada-style free trade agreement. Or we might just accept the withdrawal of bill being amended to say Britain wants a customs union. He might accept that and then still fight a general election promising to overturn it and change it because the customs union is is about the future relationship. And let's remember that that is really a matter for the political 
political declaration attached to the, the withdrawal agreement. And the political declaration is not legally binding and can be changed quite easily. So if the EU would not be too annoyed if Britain wants a different political declaration for a softer Brexit in the future, it would be annoyed if the withdrawal agreement itself is reopened because that's, that's, that's set in stone as far as the EU is concerned. If, if we do move towards the idea of Britain staying in a customs union, of course, those opposed to that idea will say, but you'll be a rule taker. You'll have to accept all the EU's rules on customs, all the EU's rules on tariffs without having a voice or a vote on them. The answer is Britain would not have a vote, but it probably would have a voice. My, from my own conversations with EU governments, I think they would be prepared to give Britain a consultation mechanism so that EU customs policy did reflect some British thinking, some British priorities and interests rather than expect Britain to be a complete uh, rule-taker without any say at all. OK, so a voice but not a vote. So you've just alluded to Boris Johnson's vision for Brexit and for a future relationship. Could you just say a bit more about what exactly the future relationship that Boris Johnson and his government envisages for the UK and the EU? Well, Boris Johnson wants to go for what he calls a Canada-style free trade agreement, meaning very little for Britain's services industries. They would get no special access to EU markets, which would be very damaging to our services industries. But to be fair to Boris Johnson, Theresa May's deal did very little for services either. So our services industries are going to take a big hit, whatever happens, whether it's a Theresa May deal or a Boris-type deal, uh, particularly financial services, business services, transport, aviation, that's aviation and road haulage. And so they're going, they're going to be badly hit anyway. The difference between... The biggest difference between Mrs May's deal and Boris's deal is that Boris doesn't want to go for alignment with single market rules. Boris wants to have just low tariffs or zero tariffs on trade in goods between Britain and the EU, which means that we would not be aligned with EU rules on single market for goods uh, and farm goods as Mrs May wanted. So there would have to be controls at borders to check for compliance with EU rules, even if we're in a customs union. If we're not in a customs union, there have to be customs checks at the border as well. So what he's promising is frictioned trade rather than frictionless trade. So it would be particularly bad for our manufacturing industries, automobiles, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, food processing, uh, aerospace would be five industries depends on integrated supply chains which bring goods across borders at short notice so they'd take quite a, a serious hit if we joined a customs union against boris johnson's wishes that would reduce the hit but there'd still be a hit because we still would not be part of the single market and what kind of shape do you think that a brexit agreement could take that would be both the least damaging possible to the uk economy but that is also conceivable within the political constraints well that's that's the key question we're all going to be thinking about in the next few months i, I suspect my own view is that the least bad way of Brexiting for the British economy would be a Norway-style Brexit, meaning we'd stay in the single market for goods and services, though Norway's not in customs union, but you could add on a customs union if you wanted. Uh, that would be pretty good for the British economy, would lead to a very small hit to the British economy. The trouble is I don't think it works politically for the British, because Norway is a rule taker. It's consulted on single market rules, but doesn't have a vote on them. And it essentially has to follow what the EU says on most single market issues. It's not in the farm policy or the fish policy. So there are some other benefits for the Norway model. But I can't see the British being a proud, sometimes arrogant people being prepared to put up with taking all the EU's rules on the single market for, for a very long time. So I don't think Norway works politically. So I think the best deal that could work politically is something building on parts of what Mrs May proposed. Remember her Chequers proposal of the summer of 20. 18 was to stay in the single market for goods 
to reduce friction at the border but not services and to have a very complicated customs arrangements that nobody understood and nobody thought could work. The EU rejected her so-called checkers plan because it didn't like the customs ideas at all and as for single marketing goods it, she didn't say enough on reassuring them that on the so-called level playing field commitments that Britain would stay aligned to EU rules on social and environmental issues, consumer rights, tax, state aid and so on. But if one went back to the idea of Mrs May to say Britain can't stay in the whole single market, that's not viable, that's Norway, but we could at least stay in the single market for goods to protect our manufacturing industry, that would be quite important for the economy. Although manufacturing is only perhaps 11% of the British economy, it's roughly half Britain's exports. So it's quite important to protect the car industry, the aerospace industry, the pharma industry and so on. And if Britain was committed to a customs union, that removes one of the EU's objections to the May plan. And if it also signs up to so-called level playing field commitments, so it al aligns many of our regulations with those of the EU, then I think the EU might be prepared to look at what you could call uh, the Jersey model. Jersey is not in the single market for services, it is in the single market for goods and it's in the customs union with the EU. That's the Jersey model which my colleagues Sam Lowe and John Sprinkler have written something about over the past year or two. Right, and so you think there is a good chance that the EU could accept such an arrangement? Well, the EU rejected the Chequers plan originally, partly because it didn't like the customs provisions and partly because it wasn't reassured on level playing field provisions. Britain could provide assurances on both those issues. It also says, that, which it would be harder to reassure it on, that you can't be in part of the single market. You can't be in the single market for goods and not services, although, of course, Switzerland is, but Switzerland accepts free movement of labour and Britain would not accept free movement of labour. So that there would be a real argument about it, but I think there at least be a, a chance that the EU would look, at, look seriously at such a model. That, to me, is the closest economic relationship that is probably compatible with the political realities in both the UK and the EU. Though it's far from certain it could be agreed, but I think it, I think it could be a good compromise that would be, say, damaging to the British economy for services, but would but, but look after the interests of manufacturing. OK, so we've talked about the economic relationship. As we know, the UK is one of the strongest defence powers in the EU, arguably the strongest defence power in the EU. What about defence and security cooperation after Brexit? How will the UK be able to participate in the EU's security architecture? Well, this will be a very big debate for the coming years as, as we negotiate the model, the model of Brexit that we go for. And here I think you know, we might be a little optimistic. On the economic side, as we've discussed, whatever relationship Britain has, it's going, there's going to be some cost to the British economy because we're not going to have the full benefits of EU membership. Britain leaving the EU's security uh, structures for policing and counter-terrorism, for foreign policy, for defence, is certainly bad for Britain. It's bad for the EU too because Britain is a net contributor in all these areas, much more than its fair share. In Europol, for example, it feeds in more information than any other country in the EU. So therefore, I think our partners, Britain's partners, will have an incentive for creating bespoke structures that allow the British to plug in in ways that are unprecedented, that other third countries are not being allowed to plug in, because the EU get, will get the benefit of Britain's contribution. Now, the Commission has said so far, no way. The Commission says no third country can have as close a relationship with EU security structures as a member state or even a Schengen member, and that if it did, there'd be an awful precedent created. If, if the Britain was allowed to have military liaison officers in the EU military staff, then Turkey might ask for the same thing. That would be awful. 
if Britain was allowed to manage the Galileo satellite system, then America would ask for the same management role, which would be awful. But I think the truth is Britain is a special case. It is a European country that is, shares in most areas the values and the policy priorities of the other European states. It can make a big contribution. Without that contribution, Europe as a whole it will be less safe and less secure. So I think there's a chance that the member states may push uh, the Commission to soften its attitude to these structures and allow special arrangements to be made to plug the British in. And perhaps one could even speculate that you need some sort of European Security Council created. I have heard people in high up in the French system talk of this, meaning something that's different from the EU, that's not against the EU, that includes the EU, that allows Britain and conceivably in the long run Russia, Turkey and other European powers that are not in the EU to get together to discuss big strategic challenges. What do you do about the Middle East? What do you do about transatlantic relations? And so long as Britain shares Europe's values and its policy priorities, I think the Europeans might see a, a point in having Britain as part of such structures. OK, just to bring us back to the closer present, a general election is inevitable, really. It's just a question of timing. What do you think that the likely outcome of a UK general election would be? And what would this mean for Brexit? Well, I'm assuming that a general election is going to happen fairly soon after Parliament has voted to approve the principle of Brexit. So I think a general election is not about stopping Brexit. A general election is about the kind of Brexit one might wish to, wish to achieve. At the moment, it looks as if if he especially if he achieves Brexit by either the 31st of October or soon after, Boris Johnson will be in a triumphant mode. He will say, I promised to deliver Brexit. I've achieved it. I'm a, I've, I'm a dynamic, powerful leader. Vote for me. And that's quite a strong argument, especially when the Labour Party is led by somebody who has very, very, very negative polling. So I think one can speculate that the Tories are likely to win the election, which may mean they overturn the idea of the customs union that we've discussed that the current parliament probably favours. Uh, but you never know with electoral politics because uh, if there's a lot of tactical voting amongst pro-European forces, so that Liberals and Labour and Nationalist parties and others, other pro-European forces, including the Greens, vote tactically to achieve the best outcomes, then you could see either another hung parliament or conceivably even a Corbyn-led government. doesn't look very likely at the moment, but we've seen so many surprises in British politics in the last few years that we can't be sure of anything. Thank you, Charles. A good caveat, I think. We'll be back with more updates for listeners in the coming months. So for now, goodbye. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.